Don't miss out on the latest news and events in your community. Visit StarLocalMedia.com today. Sign up for our newsletter and stay informed on all the latest stories affecting your neighborhood. And if you're a local business owner, let us help you reach your target audience with our effective advertising solutions. Visit StarLocalMedia.com and take the first step towards staying connected to your community. Welcome to another episode of the Star Local Media High School Sports Podcast. My name is Matt Welch, being joined by David Woolman and Nolan Beilstein. Welcome, Nolan. Hey, how's it going? Nolan is, a, uh, is new to Star Local Media. He is doing our, uh, our sports coverage for Carrollton, Louisville, and Flower Mound. So excited to get Nolan off and running. Um, so uh, yeah, Devin has a prior engagement today. So just the three of us holding it down for this episode of the podcast as we, uh, as we play a little game of catch-up and look back on some of the fascinating happenings from week six in Texas high school football, at least within our coverage area for our 6A and 5A high schools. We are... Um, like I said, we're about to hit week seven, so we've we've officially passed the midway point of the of the regular season. Have just what I guess uh, what four or five weeks to go yeah. until we hit. The- yeah, five weeks, I guess, if you include some teams have a bye. Yeah, before we have, we're at the playoffs. So, theoretically, everyone should be beginning the second half of their uh, of their schedules by now, mm-hmm. which is odd because we're going to start off the podcast talking about a school that played just its second game of the season last uh, last Thursday. And, uh, again, I'm not sure how many teams in the in the Metroplex period have had the at least the start of their schedules impacted more so by COVID than Rowlett, which, again, just playing in their second game of the uh, of the season, they had the entire – the first month of their – of their campaign wiped out entirely, and sure enough, I mean, despite the uh, I guess the inexperience that they've had on the year, they came away with what was I guess one of uh, one of a number of pretty uh, pretty significant victories amassed in our coverage area last week. So, um, yeah, David, let's start there talking about sure. what was kind of the uh, the marquee matchup in District Nine Six A last week. It's been a rivalry that you know, despite Saxe's dominance, you know, versus uh, you know Garland ISD over the last few years, I believe they entered uh, Thursday's game carrying a what a twenty six game winning streak. Mm-hmm against Garland ISD opponents. If there has been a school out there that's shown capable of kind of pushing back and at least making them work, you know, for, um, for a win or two over the years, it's been Rowlett, you know, which is kind of thought of as kind of their chief rival. And, you know, Rowlett, um, I believe actually Rowlett might have been the last team in GIST to defeat Saxe back in, I guess, the, what, the 2000, I guess, what, 15, 16 season or something in that range. Um, but nevertheless, though, yes, Rowlett scores a pretty significant victory on Thursday, 35-33. to 33. I guess no result in that district should be that surprising when you think of just how chaotic it was last season. And again, we're still just a couple weeks into the district schedule, so we're still trying to kind of see who, you know, who, I guess, stacks up where. But this yeah. one was certainly notable, just given that you know, Saxe had a bit of a, a bit of a head start with two extra games having mm-hmm. been played uh, for the Mustangs, but a huge win for the Eagles. David, what um, what was the kind of the first thing that jumped out um, about you about this victory? Well, you mentioned like like that long winning streak, but obviously. Rowlett actually had a chance last year to pull this out, too. They've had a couple chances. Yeah, they had. Yeah, they've been last, on the doorstep a few times. Yeah, last year was actually uh, uh, Saxe's top Rowlett on a two-point conversion. Mm-hmm. And guess what happened this time? They got stopped. <laughs> Saxe got stopped on a two-point conversion. There you go. So they kind of flipped the script right there. So Because um, Alex Orgi, the, the Saxe standout quarterback, uh, mm-hmm. uh, he scored with uh, 
let's see how much time a minute 42 left in the fourth in the fourth quarter to make it a two-point game right there mm-hmm. they missed a two-point conversion they get the onside kick they, they don't get the onside kick yeah. and then Rowlett's able to run out the clock right there so and it's the first time that they've beaten uh uh, uh Saxe since 2015 okay 15 so 15 yep so and the hammer trophy is going back to Rowlett this week that's right they they play for an actual trophy it's yeah. not i mean there's a ton of high school there's a ton of rivalries at the high school level but very few actually play for a like a college football level uh, emblem like the <laughs> like the hammer trophy that's what i think makes yeah. that rivalry pretty uh, pretty special you know you mentioned um you know just the uh, the nature in which Rowlett went about doing this kind of i guess flipping the script from last season sure. they also had a really really productive game just in just in big plays through the air you know their quarterback uh, Trey Carr he only completed just 11 passes, but he still did so for 243 yards total, so a little over 22 yards per, uh, per completion bad. there. Yeah, pretty solid. Um, you know, some uh, some big plays allowed by that Saxe secondary. We had Ernest Thomas. He had five catches for 121 yards. Mm-hmm. Caleb Stiggers-Blair, just one catch, but for 56 yards. Hector Soto, three catches, 43 yards. So really just kind of taking advantage of, I guess, an aspect of Saxe's defense the teams really had. I mean, I don't know if you saw him against Capel. If that was an area that Capel had success with against them, if they were able to, you know, get some big gains on him through the year, but yep. certainly something that Rowlett was able to capitalize on. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's, I just can't get over the fact that this is still just Rowlett's second game. And that's just, of all the years in which they're going to, you know, to be the one team that finally is able to beat Saxe in, uh, in Garland ISD. I mean, again, this team, you know, COVID hit the beginning of their schedule just about as hard as any team in the area. So to already have won a matchup, uh, you know, of this caliber against Saxe, you got to realize like this Rowlett team is still kind of finding its sea legs in some sure. areas. If you're just playing your second game of the season, you know, you're still trying to make sure that, okay, you have guys that are in the right positions and whatnot, stuff like that, stuff that you're normally ironing out during non-district play, you know, not playing your chief rival in what's, you know, could potentially be the biggest game of the uh, of the district schedule. So for them to have already scored a win of that caliber, especially when you look at how, I mean, how strong Saxy looked the week prior against Garland, which was our game of the week. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, what a what a statement for Rowlett. I mean, I hesitate to say as far as what this means kind of long-term because, like as we saw last year, I mean, anything can happen in this district. So... Well, I don't want to say this gives them any sort of inside track on potentially winning a district title, but just for confidence's sake and just showing that, um, okay, we're, um, this might be a, a bit of a bounce back year for a Rowlett team that had a long playoff streak snap last season. I mean, what a, uh, yeah, what a, what a lift that, that performance must have been on Thursday. And the thing is, like, not only are you impressed that they beat a, like that, that winning streak the, to, to snap Saxe's winning streak, 26 straight games against Garland ISD, but to do it like whenever you could even practice in person. Yeah. Like to have all that COVID stuff. When you have COVID, you can't even practice together. You have to do everything virtually, all the workouts and everything. Like you can't practice, you know, like even you can't even get two guys in the field house together. So to have that for only like one game of preparation for against a sexy team that's, you know, make the playoffs a lot of years. Oh, yeah. That's that's impressive. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Signature win for for the Rowlett Eagles early on in their season as they as they finally are the team to push back and uh, and beat Saxe thirty five to thirty three and also a big thing in this game too is that um like the huge thing for Rowlett that Rowlett that allowed them to gain the confidence they were ahead all of the game for sure which is obviously very very different from years past <laughs> yeah usually they're the team behind everybody's usually playing catch yeah usually with everybody's playing catch with Saxe but um in this game uh, uh I'm sorry if I cut you off right no, there you're good. No, but um uh, like the first score um. That uh, Rowlett had, it actually came off a turnover. Okay. So uh, I think uh, Jordan DeLuna recovered at the 25-yard line, and then Rowlett just came to, to score the first touchdown on a trade card uh, five-yard keeper. Mm-hmm. So um, that kept him ahead for good. And then um, 
uh, they actually got up by two touchdowns on this game. Uh, I think uh, right before that, Sexy had another turnover. Mm-hmm. So then uh, uh, Rowlett went up 35-20 to 20 on a pass from Trey Carr to Ernest Thomas, his favorite target in this game. Mm-hmm. That was with 5.06 left in the fourth quarter. Yeah. So, yeah, just to take advantage of those turnovers was huge. Uh, I think uh, Sexy also had some big penalties in the game as well, mm-hmm. too, from what uh, Devin was tweeting in the game. Yeah. So, um, like, you know, if you take advantage of those situations, you're going to win, and, you know, Rowlett found a way to do it. Yeah, big stuff for the Rowlett Eagles is they're still trying to think it's find their footing for the uh, from an odd season out there at Rowlett. <laughs> so we were um so again while that obviously that was kind of the signature game in our coverage area on Thursday we were all busy covering District Six Six A on uh, on Friday so we can talk a little bit about I guess the second leg of the District Six Six A schedule. Um, Nolan, let's get you into the mix, buddy. Let's talk a bit yeah. about now. First off, I have to ask: Was this the first time you had ever covered a high school football game in Texas? Yeah, I'd, I'd been to quite a few because I went to school a little north of here, mm-hmm. but. Yeah, I'd never covered a Texas high school football game before, so that was it's kind of eye opening in comparison to the other games I've been covering. We are, so, which how many states have you covered games in? Just to kind of set the stage here. So, my first job was in Minnesota, mm-hmm. covering pretty small. It'd probably be the equivalent of like a two A mm-hmm. team down here, and um, they had to travel like two and a half hours sometimes to play teams in their what they called sections. You call okay. them districts, and then I went down to uh, South Carolina. And a little bigger, it'd probably be like three A's, three A, four A's down here. And, you know, I had some more teams, so that was a little more competitive. Had some teams go pretty deep in the playoffs. So, yeah, just Minnesota, South Carolina, technically Georgia, because one of my teams played a game in Georgia against mm-hmm. a Georgia team. But, yeah, really just those two, and now I can add Texas yeah. to the resume. <laughs> it's a little different. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. yes. Yes, very much so. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, as far as, um, yeah, we can talk a bit about your game. You knew had a chance to see Plano East and Louisville, a game that, uh, you know, a few years prior. I don't know. Did you get a chance to read that story about the last time East and Louisville played? Just one of the, just this just insane game where Louisville <laughs> mounted this wild fourth-quarter comeback. No, no, no. I so, yeah. <laughs> this one, this one was not, uh, you know, certainly nowhere near the uh, the flair for the dramatic as that uh, as that matchup was back in, I guess, what 2016. Um, and otherwise, a game that it felt like the Farmers were kind of in control of from the get go, yeah. and they're ultimately able to come away with what was it, a 56 to 42 victory? That's, yeah, that's what I had marked down. Overplaying so. <laughs> over the Louisville gets a nice bounce back win. Obviously, after that uh, that frustrating loss that they had the week prior against Plano West, Plano East still searching for its first win. So, I guess in your first uh, dalliance with uh, Texas high school football what was um what you kind of think of this game and just what was something that kind of stood out to you well it, it says 56 42 but it really never was that close i think mm-hmm. Plano East got within eight points in the third quarter but you know just for lewisville their quarterback Taylor green i mean mm-hmm. they, they basically did whatever they wanted with him I and mean, i had he completed 26 of 29 passes i don't wow. think i've ever covered a high school game where uh, the same quarterback attempted Maybe 20 passes. Really? Definitely not 29 yeah. over a course of like three games. And to see him complete 89% of them was pretty impressive. They were doing quick slants, deep passes, and he was just so accurate. Mm-hmm. He, he didn't need much space between the receiver and the corner to hit them. And then he throws for six touchdowns. So when you combine that with their running back, uh, Damian Martinez, I mean, he he had a good game, but people weren't really noticing that. They were noticing Green completing basically every pass he threw. But I had Martinez for 209 yards. <laughs> and <laughs> the 209-yard rushers, like, yeah, it's just kind of a foot. It was, it was a quiet yeah. 209 yeah. yards until yeah. the very end when he broke a 53-yarder and got the, I think it was the last touchdown of the mm-hmm. game. But, yeah, they and then they got their two receivers, Stevens and Winfield, that Green was throwing to all night. I had them combined for 19 receptions and almost 300 yards, four touchdowns. That's pretty on brand for that program. They had quite a few weapons, and Plano East just, they you can't focus on one of them. They, I mean, they would 
try to play to defend green and then they just hand it off to martinez and he'd break arm tackles and break big runs and just keep pounding that ball against the defensive line they really didn't have an answer Sounds like for Plan de though, even in defeat, once again, Ishmael Mahdi, their star running mm-hmm. back, just he, I mean, he, he's just basically a walking, like at least 250 yards of offense, whether it's on the ground, through the air. I mean, he's, he's just such a, such a weapon. And it sounds like he, you know, had, st- even in defeat, one of his better games of the season. Yeah, if 334 yards and five touchdowns yeah, is, if you consider that's that. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Another stat that I've never seen in high school before. <laughs> yeah, um, four of his touchdowns were 57 yards, 41 yards, 50, and then his last one was 73. Three is another guy who's hard to bring down, gets a lot of yards after contact. But, you know, when they're playing behind like they were, I mean, you can only run the ball so many times. And when you're not stopping the other team, you you never catch up like that. And while Mahdi was pretty good on the ground, their passing game just never got going. Um, They used two quarterbacks. They started with Dylan Hayden and switched to Harris Boyd in halftime. Mm -hmm. And uh, Hayden got about 91 yards, 7 of 18. Boyd, um, 6 of 12, 38. He had a touchdown pass, I believe. Yeah, and they had um, receivers open. Um, talking to head coach Julie McCullough after the game, um, you know, he said it kind of affected his play calling when he knew that um, Louisville could identify obvious passing downs, and so yeah, he thought they had some receivers open and just really didn't execute mm-hmm. in the passing game. And when you're playing behind against a team that scores at will. It's going to be hard to come back. Yeah, certainly the Louisville that you know people have kind of come to know. I mean, again, it just kind of speaks to the caliber of Plano West defense that they were so effective the week prior in slowing them down. And we can actually kind of segue right to that, David, because that was our game of the week last week: Capel versus Plano West. Yep. Sounds like a game that more or less kind of lived up to the hype. You know, Lewis, I mean, Capel was able to get a little bit of distance there in the fourth quarter, but it sounds like otherwise a game that was pretty back and forth and between two teams that look like they're at least kind of in that mix for playoff spots now in that district. But um, you know, Capel gets a thirty-one to twenty victory. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, kind of just some um, size up what you, um, you know what you I guess were the uh, kind of the big takeaways from this one. Um, even the even in defeat, you've got to admire the way that Plano West you know hung with Capel, mm-hmm. especially the, the way they can just score points right there. Yeah, I mean it shows that Plano West you know with Tyler Sukup in his second year, like you know they they can hang with the. The Capels, they can hang with the Louisville's right there. Because you're wondering, I guess, the week prior, I mean, sure, what you did against the Louisville is impressive yeah. as it was, but again, going on the road against a Capel team that plays, you know, a much higher, uh, higher level caliber of defense, and it's going to yeah. make things a little bit more tough on you. And obviously, they didn't have Tabor and Yates in the lineup once again. So, um, yeah, yeah, I mean, just to still be able to, you know, uh, again, hang the way that they did, it's certainly a, a spirited showing a defeat. And the, and the thing that really impressed me about Plano West, especially in the first half, is it was Plano West football. Mm-hmm. Like, they're going to take a lot, as much time as they can off the clock. They're not going to stop the ball until there's less than 10, 10 seconds left on the play clock. Yeah. Um, they're going to, you know, they hit you with the power run, occasional pass right there. And the thing, like, they did really well in that first half is that they kept moving the chains right there. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like a three and out or you get one first down. They were getting, like, 11 play drives, like, you know, I think uh, maybe, like, a 12 play drive as well, too. Mm-hmm. And during the first half, like, they almost, like, Two to one, like uh, as far as the number of plays right there. Uh, what I got right here is West ran forty three plays in the first half. Capel only had twenty three. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And not only that is that they, West played turnover free football in the first half right there. Mm-hmm. And Capel they had two turnovers. Okay. And West actually got 10, uh, 10 points off of that right there. And so that, that's huge, especially when you're going to an environment like that and you're facing the caliber of you know opponent that you are. So um, and and they also did like like. They, they didn't get down, like, whenever things weren't going their way. Mm-hmm. Um, they actually missed, they missed, like, a 37-yard field goal, like, after an 11-play drop. But that didn't affect them at all. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, they kept, kept grinding it out, and then they uh, actually got a, 
a touchdown pass late in the in the second quarter out there, which was set up by a fumble right there. Uh, and I think uh, Trevor Sessions he forced a fumble. Like is there's a pass to uh, Dylan Nelson, and Sessions just forced the ball out of there, and Cole Frederick recovered. And then it was at the balls at the Capel 31 yard line, and and uh, Jabraden King Woods, you know, he got a four yard touchdown pass from uh, Greg Dorn for a 2014 halftime lead. Mm-hmm. So it shows you, you know, like the, hey, they're forcing the turnovers. You know, they're able to get the plays when they need. And also, you know, Dermot White, who's stepping in for Yates, he did a really good job there. Yeah. Like you know, I think he's only a sophomore, right? Yeah, just yeah, a sophomore. Just a sophomore. So to come here and filled like those big shoes out there with Yates, who's uh, sitting at this game. Uh, he did a really good job right there. Uh, he had 103 yards on 19 carries right there. So that's that's good right there. Um, and obviously the difference in the second half is um, uh, I think uh, Capel's defense, you know, they played a bend but don't break kind of style right there. For sure. Um, uh, they they got a couple of huge plays from Cannon Peters, who just recently got moved from cornerback to outside linebacker out right. there. Uh, first ever time playing it, <laughs> so um, it's like not bad for two weeks. So he uh, one of his plays like. Uh, Plano Wester's driving, and it looks like they're going to get a field goal attempt. And like Velez, like Jesse Velez, he already had a 50 yard field goal in this game, too. Really? Wow. Yeah. So, um, and then like uh, Cannon Peters has a sack that takes him, I think it's like an eight yard loss right there, takes him out of field, takes him out of field goal range right mm-hmm. there. And then um, during the fourth quarter, I think Capel got back into the lead. And then uh, it was actually t- like a 12 play drive, which came after, after a missed field goal by Plano West. Um, that's allowed Capel to get back in front. And then, unfortunately, after that, West had its first turnover of the game right mm-hmm. there on an interception because, like, they were trying to play catch-up from Capel. Like, you know, they're trying to, you know, maybe up the pace a little bit, which was kind of like, you know, a little bit against, the, like, their style right there. Um, so, unfortunately, they got that turnover out there. Um, they lost 31-20. to 20. Um, You know, Capel had to do what it did. Um, you know, Ryan Walker, you know, he, he came up with some big throws, especially to K.J. Liggins right there. Um, it, it was actually the crazy. The first time he's ever this season, he's finished under 100 yards receiving. Oh, he actually geez. finished with 94. Yeah, oh, okay, close enough. <laughs> close yeah. enough. Yeah, we'll, we'll round it up for you, yeah. KJ. So yeah, uh, and then uh, Jason Nagu, he got some big runs there uh, to start the the, the go ahead touchdown right there. He got four straight runs and uh, he he rushed for 113 yards on uh, 24 carries right there. So mm-hmm. you know, very good effort by him. Um, and now compels four and one. There you go. They, now- they had four wins a year ago. They have it because it also sets up now a huge one on Friday because uh, that's when they square off against Marcus. Yeah. Who I guess we can, you know, I guess segue to that was my game on Friday. I was kind of just going back and forth as far as where I was going to be on Friday. And I eventually wound up getting a game that was not terribly competitive. Marcus, um, I just wanted and just to see that Marcus offense and sure. just, I mean, as, as impressive as they had been up to this point in the season. And they were, that might have been them at their best. I mean, it's hard to fathom how much better they could play on offense. And it was a 56 to 17 victory over Plano. I mean, the offense kind of called the dogs off about midway through the third quarter, but I mean, 635 total yards from the Marauders, 37, 357 through the year from uh, quarterback Garrett Nussmeyer, who had one of his best games ever as a high schooler. I mean, 19 of 22 for 342 yards and four touchdowns. He, I mean, he had more touchdown passes than he had incompletions, which I believe also applies to yep, Taylor yep. Green's performance mm-hmm. over in Louisville. So, uh, yeah, so the, uh, the, Twice D- as many. the D1 quarterback commits certainly uh, showed out in 6-6-A. Um, with, with Nussmeyer, just kind of getting to see how this Marcus offense functions. I hadn't seen Marcus you know, play in person since their opener um, you know, last season against Arlington Bowie. Um, obviously, uh, you know, quite a bit of a, a difference showing this time around against, uh, against Plano. Um, 
it's, you know, so Marcus is one of the, you know, in, in this day and age of just these wide open spread offenses, you still see as, as much as the passing game is really kind of picked up over the, uh, over the years, most of these teams are still, you know, kind of run first at the end of the day. They're always going to favor the run in that pass to run ratio. And Marcus used to be one of the most run heavy programs that we covered. I mean, there were years when Marcus was running the ball, you know, 75, 80% of the time. Um, well, obviously when you have a, you know, a quarterback who's, you know, going to be you know, playing in college at LSU, you know, going forward. I mean, Garrett Nussmeyer is going to have every passing record in that program's history. So naturally you have to tailor the offense around his, his skill set. And they have, um, you know, they, so they're not, it's not a team that like, I think against flower mound the week prior, a game that they won 55 to 14, I believe they had 69 offensive snaps. And despite the lopsided margin of victory, they still threw the ball 39 times. So they still favor the pass over the run in that game. Yeah. Um, now it was, you know, kind of the other way around. They, uh, they at least started running the ball a bit more as this one went along, but just to kind of see a team because they, you know, because obviously they had a big hole at running back coming into the season with no Tyson Edwards. Um, so trying to kind of find out how just to, uh, how to kind of fill the gaps there, but their passing game is so multifaceted, you know, with just the, I mean, they use a lot of screen passes, so that almost in a way functions as a run game in some respects. Um, but they're also, I mean, they're so adept at just, I mean, every, every, I guess, third of the field is, is up for grabs with them, um, with Nussmeyer and head coach Todd Ford at Plano. He had a uh, kind of a good descriptor of the kinds of plays that Marcus's offense really thrives in, and it's basically off-schedule throws. And that's basically essentially when the play breaks down and you get Nussmeyer out the pocket, on the move. I mean, he's not a, you know, a, a speedster or anything like that. He's not going to go Kyler Murray on you, but he's still plenty adept with his legs. He can move the ball on the ground if need be. Um, he had a 25-yard scramble that set up one of their touchdowns, but he's so elusive in the pocket, and Plano just could not get to him. I mean, there was, you know, so he only threw one incompletion in the first half, and it was basically on a, on a point-blank screen pass. So, you know, it wasn't anything that Nussmeyer did. His first, I guess if you want to call it, his first actual incompletion came midway through the third quarter in a play where, I mean, he was just dead to rights in the backfield. You know, Plano was, had three, four guys trying to sack him. He's just backpedaling, backpedaling. But he's at the same time, he's he's juking and evading every time that someone tries to get a hand on him. He probably had to have broken about four or five potential tackles before just whipping the ball downfield and it falls incomplete. But just first off, I mean, obviously in most you know situations like that, just throw, just throw the ball away. But I mean, it just shows just the confidence that he's playing with right now. That, you know what? Despite the fact he still felt like he had a completion that he could, uh, yeah. he still felt like there was a throw there to make. I mean, they're just they're, the offense is just playing with such confidence right now, and they actually had them in the run game came along really, really nicely against Plano, especially Cade Navarro. Who was um he was really he was only he only carried the ball eleven times but for 119 yards Gabe Espinosa got in on the on the uh, on the mix with five carries for 87 yards I mean they've um for a team that played so many close games last year in district play you know again even though that they went undefeated last year in district play they they had I believe it was four I guess four of their games came by uh, eight points or less so to have already started off district play with a 55 to 14 win last week in the Mount Showdown their most lopsided win in the history of that rivalry against Flower. And then this week to follow that up with a 56 to 17 victory against Plano, they just they look like they've gone up a level. And I'm anxious to see now what that means for Friday against Capel, which is I think far and away their biggest test to date this season. Um, but yeah, their offense was just blowing and going on uh, on Friday against Plano. Now, granted, Plano's defense has taken some lumps this year. They've given up at least 35 points in every game that they've played in. You know, but still, just to see the precision that that offense was functioning with, it was just it was something special that Marcus had going on Friday against the Wildcats as they. 
stay unbeaten on the year. Um, let's see. Let's talk about a, a pretty big game out in Frisco ISD. This was um, honestly probably pound for pound about as fun a game as you could make right now in Frisco ISD football. Mm-hmm. And that was the uh, the undefeated state-ranked Frisco Raccoons going up against one of the one of the hottest offenses in the entire Metroplex. Yep. Frisco Liberty, the the Keldrick Luster Show, ran up against the uh, the I guess what top five ranked uh, top five ranked Frisco, and you know no team has figured out an answer for the Frisco Liberty quarterback, just a sophomore putting up just some electrifying numbers. So then, uh, obviously, uh, you know, Liberty finally met some resistance, though. This one was, what, 39-19. to 19. Frisco stays undefeated. Um, you know, David, I guess um, you could talk a little bit about this one. What was, um, what was just something that kind of stood out about the way that Frisco conducted its latest tour de force? <laughs> uh, this is how many – this is like the – Fifth stop and how many tours stops are going to have this? Their defense is just it's, it's so ridiculous. impressive. Uh, this they've only allowed fifty one points in five games this year, mm-hmm. and this one they Luster like he, I don't, he had four he had four interceptions in this game. Yes, that's the that's that's the, that that's the killer us. right there. And obviously, I don't know if like I can't remember if he played some like. Like had some turnovers in some previous games. But he actually didn't have a single interception coming really? into this game. So kind okay. of a little bit like Ryan Walker last week in the heading into that Plano game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He even against Highland Park, he didn't have an interception. Yeah. So um, yeah, uh, like Lib- like Frisco, they're just so balanced all the way around, and they like they just don't have to they don't have to send like six or seven guys at the quarterback. Like they're really? so good up front that they can just get four guys up there and just pressure their quarterback. Like I remember a game earlier this season, by then Braxton who just committed to Tulsa last week. Mm-hmm. Like he like he can scramble among the best in, in, the, in this area right here. Mm-hmm. And like you know, the Frisco's just you know they're so disciplined in their assignments. Like they can just you know get four guys and they're just like they're so disciplined in their assignments. They're not going to allow him to free, break free of contain. Mm-hmm. So I think that's prob- probably what happened right there. Um, he only went uh, 13 of 30 right there, and he had to work for his 171 yards right yeah. there through the air. And uh, also, you know how many times he's going to carry the ball too. Absolutely. And he still did some good stuff on the ground to yeah. be sure. Yeah. Yeah. He, he, he got over a hundred, he got 108 yard rushing yards from what I saw, in, but on 17 carries with two touchdowns. Mm-hmm. But obviously it's the interception, you know, interceptions and the turnovers that going to kill you against a team like Frisco right there, especially with the way they control the ball right there and the clock mm-hmm. on offense right there. Um, so, uh, and this is a game that uh, Frisco was ahead, like all the game right here. Uh, Bradford Martin did his thing right there, 119 yard rushing yards, two TDs. Uh, Chase Lowry, he was going to Arkansas. He had he had another sensational effort right there. I think mm-hmm. he had one of the at least an interception in this game as well too. Oh yeah, yeah, and yeah, two, two. Yeah. two. Okay, yeah. all right. Uh, and then uh, obviously whenever he needs a pass to come his way, he'll catch it too. Absolutely. Yeah, two receptions, 61 yards, and a touchdown as well too. And uh, Kyrie Green, the, their quarterback, you know, he he can completed only five passes, but two of them went for touchdowns. Mm-hmm. So it's like an efficient effort by their offense. You know, they need to get they get plays whenever they have to, and their defense is just rock solid. And and their defense, like, think about how many yards that Liberty's had over the last few weeks out there. Mm-hmm. You remember the game against the Memorial? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, uh, he had uh, seven total touchdowns on that game, mm-hmm. just by himself, Luster. And he had by himself, he had 682 yards. This kid's a sophomore quarterback at Frisco Liberty. <laughs> Talk about numbers that you've never heard before, yeah. Nolan. Yeah, that's... He's, that, those are numbers for a complete season for a Minnesota team right there uh, <laughs> for your cover. Well, yeah. so, um, <laughs> so, so, like, this, like, and this one, 
Like Liberty, like you know, he they only had 347 yards of total offense, mm-hmm. which is like well below what they're accustomed to. Absolutely, like they're used to 500, 600 yard games out there, 700 yards. So, I mean, we knew that Liberty was going to get some yards, but to hold them to less than 350 yards, that's a very impressive effort by Frisco. Yeah, it's just a, I mean, it's just a continuation of just what they've been doing all season long. I mean, we were, you know, yeah. we were surprised when they held Independence to just 14 points in an opener. Then they hold Reedy. They shut Reedy out in their in their Week 2 matchup. And then uh, just to, to do this against you know, a Liberty team that had just been playing so effectively. And, yeah, I mean, four interceptions. I believe three of those turnovers came in the first half. It just put Liberty in a spot that they haven't been in yet, mm-hmm. having to play serious catch-up against a team that style is so built towards controlling the clock with that uh, that run-based offense. And, yeah, I mean, it's just uh, I mean, just what can you say, man? Four interceptions, two from Chase Lowry, two from Miles Mays. Um, just some great stuff by the Frisco Raccoons as they stay undefeated and uh, just continue to make short work of District 7-5A Division Two. I'm anxious to see, I guess, so uh, we get it later on, uh, later on this month. But now I guess the big one is uh, them and Lovejoy. Lovejoy kept rolling. They were able to, uh, to make yeah. uh, make fairly short work of Prosper Rock Hill, and that's I guess the uh, the biggest test left on their schedule as far as uh, you know. Just uh, if the, if it can finally be the offense that finally figures out a way to crack this shutdown defense that's playing about as well on that side of the ball as anybody in the Metroplex right now. Yep. Let's see. I um, wanted to close this out with a look at a couple games that were, were for consideration for game of the week last week. Sure. But um. Had very, uh, you know, some heartbreaking finishes. But again, in two games where you wonder just how the the losing team is kind of processing what happened, um, you know, you had. Um, I, I just wonder what the sentiment is coming away from those uh, those games last week for Prosper and uh, and John Paul II. So John Paul was playing in a. Uh, this was the the long awaited rematch with Parish Episcopal, a rematch of the Taps Division One State Championship game. Now JP and Parish they played twice last season, but Parish kind of put the boots to him both times, including in that state title game mm-hmm. um, you know so this John Paul team they've you know they we've talked about in the past about just some of the skill position talent that transferred elsewhere within the area and it's a team that went through its lumps early in the season I mean it was that they played three different quarterbacks in their game against Lovejoy that they just got absolutely drilled in so it's a team that had still been kind of working to find its footing on offense um, so you weren't really sure what that meant as far as when Preston Stone and uh, and company come to come to town and you know Parrish had to, I mean, they had to fight for this one. This was a game that ultimately Parrish was able to win 58-51, to 51, but in overtime. And it was a game that John Paul comes away thinking, like, man, we were right there. You know, we were – John Paul actually led this game 51-36 to 36 inside the final three minutes of the ball game. And now Preston Stone – I mean, I don't know if you've you know, heard of the name Preston Stone. He, um, I mean, he had offers from, I mean, some of the elite Power 5 schools in the country. And he's actually committed to SMU, so not too far away from here. I mean, he's a one heck of a talent, and he was the uh, – and he was the MVP of that state title game last year. He's the best player in taps. And, I mean, that kind of showed itself there in the end as he and uh – yeah, I guess um, you know they're they're just electrifying all-purpose uh, all-purpose player Christian Benson. They uh, they got going, I believe, right after they went down by 15. They had a one-play drive, a 70-yard touchdown from Stone to Benson that helped kind of uh, I guess quickly strike back for Parrish, and then they were able to get another touchdown. I guess with like 17, 18, 19 seconds left to force overtime, and just uh, you know John Paul's luck kind of ran out there in the uh, in the extra in the extra frame. You know John Paul, they I mean they. 
they basically played this game up until those final three minutes about as well as you could against a team the caliber of Parrish. They dominated time of possession. This was a game that was 76 snaps on offense for John Paul to just 54 for Parrish. So obviously had to get that in your in your favor. And it does feel like they've, you know, again, they've, they're, they're really young, you know, in a lot of places on offense, especially a quarterback. It feels like Chase Washington is who they've kind of settled on there as, um, as their go-to passer. They've really kind of figured something out, though, in the backfield with Grant Robinson. You know, um, you know obviously their, uh, their star running back. He was a kid who, I don't know if you remember seeing him a couple of years ago, David. He was um, one of the standout running backs at Allen during um, one, of their, uh, one of their seasons. Just a sophomore at the time, but he was, you know, very, very effective against 6A defenses, and he had his best game with John Paul um, on Friday against Parrish. He had 36 carries, 252 yards, and four touchdowns, right around seven yards per carry. So being able to get that part of your offense working in conjunction with being able to work the clock, I mean, it really did take you know take Parrish out of its comfort zone for a while. They got a couple defensive touchdowns, which, again, I mean, you factor that in just kind of going forward as far as if these two teams see each other for a second time. Not sure you can bank on two defensive touchdowns, how many more times that'll happen, but but um, nevertheless, they, get, they got just enough kind of elsewhere to really put themselves in position to potentially score a pretty monumental victory. But Parrish is just, their offense is just so explosive. And it finally, you know, came to life there over those last, uh, those last few minutes of the ball game. And, um, and yeah, John Paul, again, even in, even in defeat, though, still a really, really impressive showing against what's been the best team at the private school level right now. And, um, you know, you certainly feel like, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure how one, how much, uh, you know, George Teague has won for moral victories, but you can still, like, I mean, it gives you something a bit more to build on. Cause I mean, this is a team that ran you off the field last time you saw them in the, in the state title game last year. So to put up a showing like that, certainly encouraging for a team that's ultimately still, you know, pretty young and whatnot. No doubt. And then you had one with uh, with Prosper, which, man, I was fascinated to see what Prosper was going to do against Denton Geyer, just because this was this was, I mean, their biggest test in in a long time, and especially when you think of the last time they ran up against a Rodney Webb coached offense. You actually you saw that game, I believe. I did see that game. It was what fifty nine to forty two, and I mean, they just had no answer for Jackson Smith and Jigba and Braden Locke and just that Rockwall juggernaut last season. Nope. This was a game that came down to a uh, – it was basically a walk-off extra point. Guyer ends up winning 24-23, to another game in which Prosper had put itself in position to win. Um, you know, they were actually leading in this game 17-7 to in the third quarter at one point. You know, you knew that Guyer was going to figure something out with all the uh, all the uh, the talent that they have on that side of the ball. Yep. Obviously, quarterback by Eli Stowers committed to Texas A&M. Um, they actually – I mean, Prosper's defense did such a strong job defending the run, which has kind of been the heartbeat of the Guyer offense, they held them under two and a half yards per carry. And I mean, you factor in again, like I said, how they fared last time they saw, you know, Coach Webb in the in the postseason last year, um, a much more uh, spirited effort on defense from Prosper. I think probably their I mean, obviously it was impressive when they slowed down Ulysses Trinity, a couple, you know, a, a few weeks ago, but then to do so against a, a rushing offense, the caliber of Geyer with the added element of the, uh, of the pass that Trinity didn't necessarily have. Just quality stuff from Prosper, which continues to look the part of one of the elite defenses in the uh, in the area. Mm-hmm. They got three touchdowns from Jackson Berry, including one on the ground with, I guess, 322 left in the fourth quarter that put them up 23-17. to 17. But it was a missed extra point that gave uh, Geyer a chance to potentially go for the uh, go for the kill, and they uh, they did just that. Eli Stowers he was able to score on the ground as time expired, and then they got the uh, the extra point from Michael Mayfield for the walk off victory. And you know, heartbreaking one for Prosper. Obviously, I mean, you felt like you had a chance to you know make a bit of. I mean, you win that game, you're in the district title mix. Like you yeah. officially, I mean, you've officially like the Allen hurdle's still going to be there, and that hurdle's not going anywhere. They'll have to obviously cross that bridge when the time comes. But to beat Geyer would have been, I mean, just a 
monumental victory for that program. Um, but it still just shows that they, I mean, they can continue to compete with the upper echelon programs in 6A. This is just their third year as a 6A program. And I just continue to be so amazed by just the job that they just continually raise their game against, um, against the best teams that they come up against. It's, it's really something impressive. Yeah. It's, it's a program that, like they have like a lot of top end talent, like you know, especially like on defense with that front seven that they have. Oh yeah, right there. Their, their linebacking core is so impressive. Yeah, Aiden Siano, Mason Jolly, Herman Lee, mm-hmm. they got some studs there in the middle of their defense. Yeah, I remember the game I covered against like Little. I'm like, you know, uh, Matera was trying to go up for like you know, run to the right, to the left, or the right, and all of a sudden Siano or somebody else is there just yeah, to you know so, tackle so, them for tackle for loss out yeah, there. They cover so much ground. They do. They're so fast. They're so athletic, and they they just hit you, man. Mm-hmm. And obviously, the, the and Prosper's, you know, like they're starting to come along on offense too. You know, Jackson Berry, he's committed to Southern Utah, and mm-hmm. you know he he he'll, he'll get you some yards through the air right there. You know, he's a, he'll get you. You know, he's very calm back there in the pocket right there. Even when it's third and long, he'll get you some some good passes right there. Mm-hmm. And obviously for him, he's got the a very reliable target in, in San Diego State commit uh, Cameron Harpole. Mm-hmm. Um, and Harpole, he just kind of reminds me a little bit of a little Gronk out there. Yeah. Yeah. He, like, bit. he'll catch the ball. Like, he'll give you a stiff arm, too. And very, very physical player. Very physical player. And then uh, I, I don't know I don't know what his stats were for this game, but, like, he'll, 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 keep, he'll keep moving the chains for you. And, mm-hmm. and especially when you're facing a team like against Allen that can, you know, move the chains so quickly and all that stuff. Like, they can just be able to kind of, you know, keep the clock, you know, contained to what they want to do and, you know, limit your possessions as mm-hmm. well. And now, obviously, this, uh, this is the final hurdle that Geyer had to clear for, um, yeah. for at least, you know, for what – appears to be now a, a pretty big matchup next week when they go up against Allen. This was big for Geyer, just in the sense that, like, you look at the, uh, you know, a couple weeks ago when they uh, when they ran up against Dent Ryan, it was their only loss of the season. Dent Ryan, number one ranked team in the state for 5A Division One. Mm-hmm. They lost that game 23-20, to 20, and, you know, just you look at some of the stuff that eluded them late in that game, and a lot of it was kind of taking the ball out of Eli Stower's hands. Yeah. Um, well, obviously, they decided to give him, you know, certainly a longer leash this game, and he came through. I mean, he's their best player, and they went out I guess they were going to ride their best player to the finish line and see where it took them against uh, against Prosper. And they came through, and that's big for Geyer just because it's just the one thing about that Allen matchup that I'm still like, Allen hasn't had to work out of, to work out of too many adverse situations this season. And yeah. you know, this is this was big for Geyer you know, leading into that uh, that highly anticipated game next week. Um, so, yes, that's a look at um, some of the big happenings over in 5-6A. And, um, yeah, guys, I think that'll do it. So that'll be, um, yes, that'll do it for this episode of the Star Local Media High School Sports Podcast. Um, We'll be back on Thursday to talk about our game of the week. We've got five games up for consideration. You can go to our website at starlocalmedia.com and vote on which one you think is the biggest. And then whichever one gets the win, we'll talk about it in uh, in some pretty pretty deep detail on Thursday. So until then, folks, you take care. We will talk to you all later. Looking to hire top talent in your community? Look no further than starlocaljobs.com. Our platform is specifically designed to connect local employers with qualified candidates in their area. With StarLocalJobs.com, you can easily post job listings tailored to your specific needs and requirements. Our platform is user-friendly and offers a wide range of options to help you find the perfect candidate for your open position. Plus, our job matching algorithm ensures that your listing is shown to the most relevant job seekers in your area. But that's not all. StarLocalJobs.com also offers a variety of resources to help you throughout the hiring process. From candidate screening to interview tips, our team of experts is dedicated to helping you find the right fit for your company. 
so why wait? Join the thousands of satisfied employers who have found their ideal candidate through StarLocalJobs.com. Post your job listing today and start building your dream team.